Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. No, we're not starting all over, but we want to kind of back up just a bit. We come to the pivotal chapter this evening, the Jerusalem Council. So let's go to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. The words of Jesus to his disciples, For you shall receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. This is our theme verse. It sets the paradigm for Acts. We, in those early chapters, have the gospel shared to Jews and Jerusalem, and some believe and some are angered. And then the gospel moves to greater part around Judea and then Samaria. Turn over to Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, we have Stephen stoned. And after the stoning of Stephen, the church realizes it must get out of the environs of Jerusalem, and the church is scattered as a result. I see what happens to Stephen, and the believers scatter, and as they scatter, they to take the hope of the gospel of Jesus. Well, in chapter 8, we have Philip, and Philip converts a Gentile. An Ethiopian treasure, treasure for Candace, queen of Ethiopia. In fact, he's reading the prophet Isaiah, and Philip asks him, do you know what you're reading? And, well, look at 835, and Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. They went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, water, why can't I be baptized? And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The chariot stops and he's baptized. Chapter 9, we have Saul's conversion. And so in chapter 10, now in chapter 8, we've had one complete Gentile. We had the Ethiopian eunuch be baptized. In chapter 10, we have a gentleman by the name of Cornelius who lives in Caesarea. He's a God-fearer. A God-fearer is someone who is interested in the God of the Jews, but not really wanting to keep all the dietary restrictions, not wanting to be circumcised, not wanting to be a Jew, but they have an awe for Yahweh, the God of the Jews. And so you can see when the gospel is preached that God-fearers are perfect to respond to the gospel for with it they get the hope of Israel without the Torah and circumcision. Well, we have a God-fearer in chapter 10 by the name of Cornelius, a centurion. And well, in verse 2 there, he's one who feared God and gave alms to the Jewish people. All the Jews loved him. And he saw a vision, the angel said that he was to go and get Peter, send some men to Joppa, 
and send for Simon, who's called Peter, who's staying at Simon the Tanner's house. Well, skip forward a few pages there. Stay in chapter 10. You remember Peter sees the sheet that is coming down with all the animals. Arise and eat. No means, Lord. I can't eat anything unclean. Arise and eat. No, no, Lord. Arise and eat. And then he realizes that God wasn't talking about dietary restrictions. He was talking about people that you should not call unclean Gentiles, which God would call clean. The men arrive at Simon the Tanner's house, and Peter goes with them with some men from Joppa, and they arrive, and Cornelius' household is there, and Peter begins to preach the gospel, and all of a sudden he didn't mean for it to happen, but while he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls down, and they start speaking in tongues the gift of the Holy Spirit, and well, look at verse 45 of chapter 10. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. They were hearing them speaking with tongues. And Well, look at verse 47. Peter said, well, surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized since they've received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can they? They were baptized by the Holy Spirit. We can't keep them from being baptized by water, can we? Chapter 11, he reports back what has happened. They're sort of upset with him. Well, look at verse 2 of chapter 11. Peter came up to Jerusalem. They'd heard about him preaching the Gentiles. Those who were circumcised, the Judaizers, take issue with him, saying, verse 3, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Table fellowship. You sat at the table with Gentiles. Then Peter tells the whole story. And look at verse 18. They quieted down and well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Then you move over to chapter 13. Antioch church is continuing to grow. And in Antioch, it isn't mostly Jews who are saying yes to Jesus. It is Gentiles. And well, the church of Jerusalem gets the word that all these Gentiles had committed their life to the faith to the way, and they send Barnabas up there to check it out. And Barnabas, who's always the encourager, is delighted and reports back, man, it's real. Go get me Saul. He goes and gets Saul, who he'd met earlier. Remember, Saul had been on the road to Damascus in chapter 9, and they stay there a whole year. And then the Holy Spirit says in chapter 13, I want to set aside Barnabas and Saul for a job. They lay hands on them. They pray them. Go on the missionary journey we've just taken down to the island and back up to Pisidian Antioch and over and back around. And as they go, they go to the synagogues and they eventually get kicked out of the synagogues and they shake the Jewish dust off their feet and they go to the Gentiles with the good news. So in chapter 14, we finished up that first missionary journey. Look at the end of 14. They finished up the journey. And when they arrived, verse 27, they gathered the church. They're back at Syria, Antioch. They began to report all the things God had done with them. And now he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. They spent a long time with the disciples. We got a problem. We've got this movement across Acts. 
Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. And that's exactly what's happened in Acts. Started in Jerusalem, they were arrested, persecuted, went to Judea, went with Samaria. Then we got the Ethiopian eunuch, the treasurer of Candace. And well, then we have Cornelius and Cornelius' household in Caesarea. And then we have Antioch with all these Gentiles believing and Peter reports, and yet when the Judaizers come up, Peter withdraws table fellowship because the persecution, they're saying, if you want to be a part of the people of God, you can say yes to Jesus, but you got to say yes to circumcision and to the Torah as well. And so now we've got to call a big meeting. We're about to have a big church meeting. That's what Acts 15 is about. Now, if you're going to have that big meeting, who would you want to be there? Well, I think it'd be good if Barnabas and Saul were there since they're the ones who checked out all the Gentiles to see if their faith was real. So we need them there. Peter's already reported back to Jerusalem. He saw firsthand the Holy Spirit fall down on the God-fearer Cornelius and his family. So we need to hear a word from Peter, see what he has to say. And yet there's a third character you will see. The Tuesday nooners are already ahead of you. It is James. James, we need to hear the brother of Jesus, what word he has to say, for he seems to have risen to the position of the greatest authority in the greatest church in Jerusalem. So they all gather. They're making their way to Jerusalem to see what word would be said. Chapter 15. So men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, this is, they've come to Syria, Antioch, where all the Gentiles are believing, these men, no one sent them, they're self-appointed. A self-appointed preacher is the worst kind of preacher. Look at and put you on warning. They're self-appointed. Unless you're circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. When Paul, and, when Paul and Barnabas had great discussion and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas are there. Uh, hey, we've been here. Paul's a, a Pharisee, a Pharisees. He obeys the law. The brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders. Two groups here, apostles, we know who that is, those sent, and elders, the pastors of the church in Jerusalem, We've got to solve this thing. Can you solve this thing in Antioch? No. You know the answer in Antioch. The Gentiles are in. You've got to go to the mother church, Jerusalem, where the apostles had been based and where James, the brother of Jesus, is and see what they have to say. So Paul and Barnabas debate with these self-appointed preachers. And well, look at verse 3. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing a great deal of the conversion of the Gentiles. They were bringing great joy to all the brethren. You know, we, we complain so much about travel, and no one complains more than I do. We don't, I don't like an airport. I don't like driving a car. I just don't like to do it. They got 250 miles on foot to go to this thing. They got a month or so 
to get there. To travel 250 miles, you got a, a month's journey. And while they go, they stop at all these churches, Phoenicia, Samaria, and they're saying, hey, the Gentiles are believing. It's kind of a campaign. We're headed to Jerusalem. Don't you want to send somebody? Let's all get there. We've got a big issue. We've got to solve the issue. Come along, will you? Notice they were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. They received well. But, verse 5, play the discordant chords, put on the black hats, here come the bad guys. But certain ones, whenever, you, somebody's, whenever somebody's a certain one, it's not a good thing. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed, so these are believing Pharisees. Now, you might ask your question, why are the Pharisees believing in Jesus to start with? Well, the Pharisees are much more likely than the Sadducees, the aristocracy, to believe, for the Pharisees believed there would be a Messiah. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in life after death. They were, Paul was a Pharisee. The Pharisees, Gamaliel, they're the ones who took up for the believers because the Sadducees didn't believe in any of that. And, well, the Pharisees were in line with their beliefs about life after death and resurrection and the Messiah to be the ones who believe. So these are believing Pharisees. Certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying it's necessary to circumcise them and direct them to serve the law of Moses. We're so glad they've said yes to Jesus. And just as soon as they're circumcised and keep the 613 laws of the Torah, we'll be glad to call them brothers and sit at the table with them. And the apostles and elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, if you're ever assigned to take minutes at a Baptist meeting or a church meeting, that's a good way to put it. After there had been much debate, I'm glad we don't have to read all that. After there had been much debate, well, who are the key speakers? Well, we don't even have to listen to the Pharisees. <laughs> Luke doesn't even give much of their speech. After there had been much debate, that's the Pharisees, certain ones, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That might have been as early as 10 years before Cornelius' episode. And God knows the heart and bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did also to us. I just read you that in 10. They got the Holy Spirit, therefore they're baptized with the Spirit, therefore we got to baptize them with water. I was there. I was preaching. I didn't even want it to happen. But God made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, what's good here is that Peter earlier had not stood up for the right thing. He had backed away from associating with table fellowship with the Gentiles when these Judaizers showed up. Now, therefore, verse 10... Why are you putting God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? We can't keep the law. Why would you ask them to keep the law? God's received them. Why are you putting more, putting God to the test? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are also. There it is. Jew or Gentile, if you're saved, you're saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in no other way. 
And all the multitude kept silent. I mean, Peter's talking. And they were listening to Barnabas and Paul. So Peter got up. The Pharisees had their say. And the secretary of the evening kind of truncated their comments with after much debate. Peter got his speech. Hey, I was there. And then verse 12, we've already heard from Paul and Barnabas. We don't need to hear them give a speech again. They've already had their debate. All the multitude kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they had stopped speaking, who's next? James. Now, if you look at this word, you wonder, Peter has spoken, the prince of the apostles. Paul writer of a great deal of the New Testament, and Barnabas, the first missionary sent, have spoken. Who possibly could have authority left to stand up and speak? I'm here to tell you there was somebody there with a closing word and closing authority. It was James. It was the brother of Jesus. The best way I can point to the authority that James must have carried in the Jerusalem church. If Peter was the prince of the apostles, James was the key elder in the Jerusalem church. He was the brother of the Lord after all. And after the apostles had fled Jerusalem, he had stayed and he had become the chief pastor of the church. Oh, years ago, about 2008, 2009, we were doing master plan and we thought it was going to cost X amount of dollars, and that was a, a bid by a professional, and the real bids came back at double the money, and I didn't feel comfortable just moving forward. You had blessed it at one level. I wanted you to hear the second level and bless it again. I was still all for it, despite we had real bids, but they were just higher than we thought. There was more work than we thought, and we had a meeting on a Wednesday night, and someone spoke. No one was negative. Everyone was nice. Someone spoke. Someone else spoke, and finally... Dr. Moore stood up, and he said, we need to do it, we need to do it all, and we need to do it now. And I said, would anyone else like to share a word? <laughs> we voted 100% to do it, and we were done. And I've always been grateful for that and when you walk outside and look around you be grateful for that too James had that kind of authority in this church James had heard the Pharisees James had heard Peter James had heard Paul and Barnabas and now he says James answered saying brothers listen to me Simon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And with the, this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it's written. What James is trying to get them to, say, to see is the inclusion of the Gentiles was the plan all along. In you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He quotes Amos 9, after these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David which has fallen and I will rebuild its ruins. Now it goes into Jeremiah and I will restore it in order that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. It's not just for the Jews. It was never intended for the Jews and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. 
all mankind, including the Gentiles. In Isaiah 45, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, it's my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Well, let's write them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols, from fornication, and from that which is strangled, and from blood. Okay, what he, what he does here, James is a genius. The problem was the Jewish believers could not have table fellowship with the converted Gentiles. That was the rub. And so James asked him to do things that would not prevent table fellowship. Therefore, the Jews could have nothing to do with any meat sacrificed to an idol. We have a whole discussion on that in Corinthians. So if it's contaminated by an idol, Gentiles, please don't have anything to do with it. And the Gentile sexual morals were very loose. You're going to be pure. Please be pure. And, and if you eat something that's strangled or still has the blood in it, well, that wouldn't that would disqualify you from table fellowship for the Jews would drain the blood from it. Therefore, abstain for these few things so you can have table fellowship with the Jews. You can sit down eye to eye in Christ. Not a heavy requirement. Narrowed down the 613 to just a few common sense things that would make the church work. From Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who, who preach him since he's read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders. Notice the two groups. The apostles represented by Peter. The elders represented by James. With the whole church, they all vote in their for it, to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas and Judas called Bar Sabbath. What else do we know about this Judas son of the Sabbath? Nothing. What I just said is all anybody knows. So you're a scholar on Judas Bar Sabbath. We don't know the character. Silas, we know him. He goes on a missionary journey. Sometimes we call him what? Silvanus. All right? Leading men among the brethren. And they sent this letter by them. Now, who wrote this little letter? The letter seems to be penned by James himself, the brother of Jesus, for if you compare the vocabulary and the style of the Greek text here, it matches the epistle of James. It, it, it looks like James wrote this letter. The apostles and the brethren who were elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, that's really one area, who are from the Gentiles, greetings from James. I'm representing the apostles and the brothers and the elders. Since we have heard that some of our number, to whom we gave no instruction, disturbed you with their words. I told you they were self-appointed. We didn't send them up there to preach to you that stuff. They have unsettled your souls. It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men and send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we've sent Judas and Silas. There's that Judas, son of the Sabbath. And Silas, co-traveler with Paul in the second missionary journey, who themselves will report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. Hey, abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. Keep yourself free from such things so we can have fellowship with you. If you do that, you do well. Farewell. 
So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation, they delivered the letter. When they read it, they rejoiced because of the encouragement. They won. The Jerusalem Council, Gentiles, can be part of the church. You better be glad. This is us. We can be part of the people of God, the new Israel, not circumcised of the flesh, but Jeremiah, circumcised of the heart. They rejoice. And Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. You always love to read about that, don't you? A lengthy message. Not, not only did they preach, they preached a lengthy message. And after they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. Now, if you read 33, it sounds like Judas and Silas both leave, right? Look at that. I'm getting technical on you now. I'm giving you more than you want, but you're the, you're the seminary crowd on Sunday night. You're going to get it all. After they sent them there, spent time there, they sent them away. That's Judas and Silas. But the problem is that Silas shows up in verse 40 again. So if we send him away, how is he still there in verse 40? To solve this, some scribe added verse 34. But it seemed good to Silas to stay there. That solved the problem. Do you see verse 34 in your Bible? Is it in a bracket? Is it in italics? Is it taken out? It doesn't belong there. The guy just couldn't figure out how Silas went home in verse 33, and he was back in Antioch in verse 40, so he added a little scribal correction, verse 34. Well, I guess Silas just stayed there. He solved the problem for us. But he created the bigger problem of the fact he'd been sent home in verse 33. So... That's why verse 34 looks funny, because it is not in the oldest and best manuscripts. So while those went home, we'll pick Silas up again next week and get him back there. But today, we're sending him home tonight. But while Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, Silas and Judas are gone, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. Finally, the church has spoken. We rode the wave starting in 7 when we were scattered, and then in 8 when the Ethiopian believed, and then in 10 when Cornelius believed in his household, and then that first missionary journey when the Jews refused the good news, and the Gentiles believed, and the Judaizers and the Pharisees, the sect kept pressuring, and finally some men showed up in Antioch and said, you guys don't have it right, you must do the Torah and circumcision, and they have a debate, and they say, nope, let's go see James, and they listen to Peter, James, Barnabas, and Saul, and the Gentiles win. You're in. Just respect some things so you can sit at the table with Jews. Stay away from anything related to an idol. Stay away from meat with the blood still in it. Don't have sexual morals of, of a pagan. And we'll be good. That's all we ask. They hear that. They were doing, willing to do those things anyway. And they rejoice. And then they hear a long sermon, and then Silas and Judas go home. Paul and Barnabas stay. Verse 30, now you think all is good. You think all's happy now. I'm about to stir it up for you again. That's the way a good movie does, isn't it? You get, you get resolution, and you gotta, somebody got to kick the dust again. And after some days, 
Paul said to Barnabas, Let's return and visit the brethren in every city which we proclaim the word of the Lord. Let's go check on those churches, Barnabas. And Barnabas said, Oh, it's great. Let me call my cousin John Mark. We'll go on that trip again. And Paul said, Mm-mm, verse 38. That's how you translate verse 38. Mm-mm. Nope. He was a quitter. He was a crybaby, went home to mama. He's not going to me. I'm not trusting him again. And there arose a sharp disagreement. They separate from one another. And then what happened? You got to wait till next week. Find out. Let's pray. Oh, God, we are grateful that the anointed one of Israel is for the new Israel, which means me, which means us, which means all who would say yes to the lordship of Jesus. For the sons of Abraham are not made from the stones, but they are made by those who say yes to the Lord And they have the mark on their heart, not on their flesh. We rejoice over this pivotal chapter that makes known that all men, all women, all nations who say yes, receive the Holy Spirit, are baptized in his name, and have a place at the table of the people of God. And in his name we pray. Amen.